The Courage to Lead, episode 193. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Arlen here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Julie Goodall. Julie is a passionate, versatile, MacGyver-like entrepreneur dedicated to helping business owners make sure their business is running at optimum efficiency and they are uniquely positioned to achieve world domination, or at least what they set out to accomplish. She's oddly interested in all the things that most people hate about running a business, from nonprofits and consultants to photographers and graphic designers. Julie helps business owners get organized, get automated, and take their business to the next level. Julie believes the back office of a business is essential to success. And while most people dread the finances, systems, and strategies that are necessary evil, Julie puts her OCD to good use, making sure everything is reconciled and color-coded so owners can focus on the parts they love the reason they got into the business to begin with. She specializes in mastering the parts people enjoy the least, leaving them free to focus on their dream. When she's not managing workflows or reconciling accounts, she enjoys adventures with her family, traveling, food, both preparing and eating, movie nights, and trying to figure out how to do the millions of things on her bucket list before she's too old to enjoy them and remember what they are. Julie's dream of, of a world where the little guy succeeds, houses stay clean, and calories don't count. Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Harlan. It's an honor to be here. Oh, this is awesome. I love the, the bucket list. We've got a bucket list and we're slowly ticking off things on our bucket list. Uh, in November, we're going to um, Iceland, hopefully wow. to see the Northern Lights. Um, wow. Yeah. Iceland's on my bucket list as well. I often feel like I add to it more than I check it off, <laughs> but I'm working on it. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's fun though you know, trying to get all those things in. So that's, that's great. All right. Uh, I want to come back and talk to you about how you got your start, um, how you got to where you are now, who you're working with and how you help them um, and all that other stuff. But before we get started, I've got 10 questions that I ask every one of my guests. Um, listeners will know these are questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So if you're ready, I have 10 questions for you. I am ready. Fire away. All right. Question number one. What is your favorite word? Abundance. Nice. What is your least favorite word? Fear. I just feel like I always say it wrong. <laughs> All right. What turns you on? Making others feel seen and understood. Cool. What turns you off? Small-mindedness. What sound or noise do you love? I'm sure you get this a lot, but my kids' belly laughing. <laughs> the big guffaws. Yes. All right. And what sound or noise do you hate? Alarm clocks. Hmm. Thanks. Yes. All of them. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, question seven. What is your favorite curse word? Um, it has to be the F word because I'm all about the shock and awe. There you go. Go big or go home. There you go. All right. Uh, question eight, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I want to be a writer. Nice. Any certain genre? I want to write a memoir. Um, 
tying my personal story into finances and kind of the taboo around money, how it affected me at all the various uh, stages in my life. So it's been started, but that's about it. <laughs> no, that's good. Very cool. All right. What profession would you not like to do? Septic pumping. <laughs> Yes, I am with you. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Finally, we've been waiting for you. <laughs> we've been waiting for you. Now we have some back office stuff we'd love for you to handle, right? Exactly. Perfect. All right. Well, Julie, we're going to come back, talk about again, how you got your start, how you got to where you are now, um, who you're working with and how you help them. And at some point we'll transition into courage and leadership. Okay. Sounds like fun. All right, we'll be talking about all of that and more right after this, so stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Julie Goodall. Julie, thanks again for taking time out of your busy, busy schedule to, uh, to be on the show here. When did you first decide that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? It was in... Around 2008, I believe, 2008, 2009, um, mainly because I hated my job and I was feeling really stuck. I'd been there eight years. Um, and because I didn't have a formal college education, I was having a really hard time finding jobs that would accept me, even though I knew I could do the work. And um, I'm a little bit of a rule breaker, so it really bothered me that I could do the job effortlessly, but they wouldn't let me try because I didn't have that piece of paper. So um, kind of decided, well, then I will invent my own thing. Nice. And so what did you start out doing? Uh, well, so after my first child, um, you know, I had put on some weight like most women do. And I feel like normal people, uh, you know, they go out and get a diet, weight watchers, whatever. I have always felt more information is better. So I became a personal trainer and, uh, lost all the weight and community members and family friends started noticing. And so before I knew it, I was training them in my living room. And one of them said to me one day, you should open a gym. And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. Except, you know, I've heard that cost money, you know, starting your own business. And so I kind of laughed it off, but it stuck. You know, I started, the, the seed was planted. I started thinking about it. This was when I hated my job. And I was like, I could do that. So I, um, I got excited about it and I went to a bank and, you know, met with a, a lender to talk about how I could get some money for my startup. And uh, it was a decent friend of mine. So we had a very candid conversation where she looked at me and said, you're young, you're uneducated and you're female. Nobody's ever going to lend to you. Mm. And uh, I knew what she meant. You know, there was no malice in it. It was very much like you're under 30, you don't have a college degree. And unfortunately it's just you're female and, uh, so it's not going to happen. And she said, do you know about bootstrapping? And I didn't. And so she gave me kind of the crash course and told me what I needed to do to make it happen. And I did all the research and got some creative ways to pull some funds together, wrote a business plan. And um, the, uh, 
the company I worked for at the time said, you know, essentially, this is a stupid idea, you'll be back. And the best thing you can tell me is that I can't do something because it right. just lights that fire. It doesn't discourage me at all. It makes me just so motivated to do it. Yeah. Uh, and so I set a goal to open my first business, a gym in my community before my 30th birthday. And we got our certificate of occupancy two days before I turned 30. Wow. Nice. So did open. Uh, it was great. It was um, even called the cheers of gym because I knew every member's name, no matter how many, we ended up with over 400 and I knew everybody's name. I knew, you know, whose mom had taken a a fall and, you know, I'd asked about them. It was very friendly. Um, And I loved it, but it was also my first, my first experience with entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. and, you know, the, the endorphins, the high that you get like, and all the planning and the excitement and the energy around it was just contagious. Um, But it was also, exhausting you know I mean while I was excited I had never worked like this before you know there was a lot of stuff that you have to figure out on your own unless you have some kind of coach or mentor which at the time I didn't I didn't know I need one you know you don't know what you don't know right right um and so I was doing everything from you know opening up at 4 a.m and and checking people in to scrubbing toilets at 9 30 at night after everybody left and then doing that seven days a week all while you know, trying to figure out how to market using social media because it was free, mm-hmm. um, you know, accept credit cards, uh, membership management software, stuff I had never dealt with before. And I love learning. So that yeah, wasn't yeah. a hardship. It was just wearing all the hats, yeah. which well, I now yeah, know yeah. that's what entrepreneurs do. Exactly. And you talk you about on your, on your website about you felt that burnout. And I think yes. a lot of entrepreneurs do that. They trying to cut costs or trying to, you know, start up on a shoestring, right? Or bootstrapping. Yep. You want to do as much of it as you can, but wearing all those hats, it, it kills you. you it's know? not sustainable either. I mean, you can wear all the hats at first, but eventually it wears on you. And in this case, you know, the additional circumstances for me of a brick and mortar operation that opened at, you know, 4.30 in the morning and closed at nine at night and was open seven days a week, you know, only kind of compounded that. But I, I didn't have the cash flow for employees at first. And um, so it was hard. It was worth it. But it was also where I really learned to respect entrepreneurs for what they, I didn't know. You know, I just, I had no idea how much goes into that, that, that hustle that when you're a W2 employee, you know, you get to go home at four thirty, five 5 o'clock quitting time and, and just be present with, wherever you're at and somebody else handles all that stuff exactly exactly but entrepreneurship isn't like that you go home and your mind is still churning on you know the coulda shoulda woulda like oh you know i i should have done this or i could have done this or um what did i forget to do you know you're waking up at 1 a.m if you're sleeping at all and writing down like oh i gotta do this tomorrow it's it's all on you that that hustle is there to put food on the table and it's real yeah and, you know, a lot of people, like you said, they, they love that thrill and excitement of creating. And then yeah. they get into the middle of it and kind of go, eh, it's not what I thought it was going to be. And so they'll stop, start another product where, you know, they're creating again. Did you feel that, that same sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the beginning, mine didn't last long enough to, to really get to that place. So I made it about 16 months. Um you know, cash flow was not there summer in Vermont. 
people go outside. You know, we're an active bunch and, and summer here is like five minutes. So everybody's out on the trails running, riding their bikes. And, and I had no income and, um, turn of events, life happened. There was a bunch of stuff going on. And so ultimately I closed my doors and swore I would never do that again. Never, never still, still worth it. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have taken it back. Right. But I didn't want to do it again. I could not wait to go out and get another W-2 job. Um, and then I don't think it was maybe a year later, 18 months at best. And the opportunity came up. The excitement came up again. I was talking with a colleague. At that point, I was in the financial world, insurance and um, financial planning. And uh, we were just like, man, the system is broken. You know, this is, people are being taken advantage of. They're not being educated. They're being talked to in these huge financial terms, this jargon so that they don't understand it, so that they're not empowered. Um, and it just, man, it's awful. And so we were like, we can fix it, you know, because that's what you do, right? You just right. start a new financial advising firm and you, <laughs> so anyway, we did. We, the excitement was there again, that fire in the belly and, uh, we started that up and this time I had a team of, of like 10 people and I was, you know, coaching them and putting systems in place. And this was all my jam, right? Like nice. finance has always been my thing, but coaching in any sense, you know, helping others and, and making them feel empowered, whether that was through exercise, personal training, or in this case, financial coaching. Um, I loved it. It was amazing. Uh, but then I, I realized that partnership comes with its own, um, issues as well. Right. So when I got into it, I was like, well, I said, I wouldn't do this again, but now there's this other person who can share the, the burden with me. Right. You know, there's two of us. So the finances, the time, all of that, you know, it will, we're in it together. Um, but you don't know what you don't know. And I had never had a partner before and I didn't know kind of the unique challenges that go along with that. And, uh, so, you know, that lasted about a year. It's, the business is still in operation, but I kind of bowed out because we had different visions after a year of where we wanted to see it go. Um, and so he took it in that direction and I just kind of went my own way. And once again, swore I would never be a business owner. I mean, this is terrible. Like I've done it twice now, shame on me. Um, but during that year, we had brought in an attorney to do a buy-sell agreement for us for our partnership. And my partner introduced me to this attorney and he said, Mark, this is Julie. She's my right arm. And this attorney, without missing a beat, said, I need a right arm. Where can I get a right arm? And so we chatted after the fact. And he turns out was like most entrepreneurs. He was wearing all the hats and he was having a really hard time keeping up with both his client work, meetings and all of that and the actual work, but then also, you know, tracking his time and invoicing and responding to emails and no systems and look like a bomb had gone off in his office, you know, papers everywhere and no organization. Um, and I just started doing all that stuff, you know, organizing and doing the finances and the billing. And, and he said to me one day, you know, you could start a, a business out of this right arm gig you've got going. Like, you know, I, I work with business owners all the time. They all need this. And I hadn't really let that thought sink in before he started making these introductions. Nice. Um, and sure enough, it, it's a need. And I, so this one is the one that stuck, um, but it wasn't on purpose. It wasn't me going out to start it again. It happened very slowly, very organically. And it just kind of grew. 
um, to a point where it was a full-time gig. And not only was it a full-time gig, but I was making enough uh, that I offered my husband the opportunity to be a stay-at-home dad because I had spent a year as a stay-at-home mom and he was unhappy in his job. And so that was the first time in my life I'd been the sole breadwinner for a family of four. It was very empowering and exciting. Um, And so we we were family, one income family for a couple of years. And then he decided to go back to work. And I came to this crossroads of there's only so many people I can help before I become that entrepreneur wearing all the hats Mm -hmm. and, you know, not having any work-life balance. Um, but I didn't want to stop helping people. The opportunities kept coming and I love people and I love their businesses. And that's when I realized that startup energy, that infectious, like, you know, just want to build on those new ideas. I didn't have to keep starting businesses to feel that I could support other business owners who had those fresh ideas, that thing that needed to get to market and help them with the piece that I would say 90% of them hate dread you know there's not a lot of positivity around that back office stuff um and it was a win-win they really needed and valued the support i love that stuff anyway and i also got to be a part of watching them grow and succeed and do the things that they couldn't have done if they were still doing all the other stuff yeah Um, well yeah and you talk about the the zone of genius you know that's why we're going to business in the first place there's that area that we feel we're at the top of our game. We really know it inside out, but all the other pieces kind of get in the way. It's nice to be able to clear your plate by delegating some of that stuff to someone else and, and get you back into that zone. Absolutely. When people ask me what I do, because, you know, business consultant, stuff like that is very vague. You know, I answer the question and I say, you know how most people get into business to do what they love with the idea that if they do what they love, they'll never work another day in their lives right? Like that's the dream. But then you do it, you start that business. And in the beginning, it's fine. And you're doing what you love. But shortly, you find that you're spending more and more of your time doing all the stuff you don't love, the necessary evils of running a business, you know, invoicing and following up on payments and paying bills and payroll and systems. I make that stuff go away so that those folks can get back to doing what they love and what they intended to be doing. Um, So yeah. Very cool. And so like what back office systems, you talk a little bit about financing and invoicing and stuff. What other things do you help out with? So a lot of folks, especially solopreneurs, there's a lot that happens with their client experience, right? Like they get a new client through whatever word of mouth, paid marketing, whatever. And then that new client has a client experience. It's a little bit like company culture. It exists whether you create it or not, right? Like whether it's intentional or not, there is an experience that happens. And when you're a solopreneur, that experience can be a little bit clunky. You know, if you were to take three different new clients and ask them what their procedure was, they'd probably all have different answers because you're just kind of winging it. We become reactive when we get busy instead of proactive. And so the communication is, you know, maybe steps are happening in different orders. They're spending way too much time trying to schedule these clients for whether it's a discovery call or the actual work because they're doing the whole, well, next Tuesday work for you. And then there's the day delay. And then the person says, yes, but now your Tuesday's full. A lot of time lost and a lot of resources lost. Um, And so I have done a bunch of research. Again, this kind of happened organically for my own business. When I got to that place of what can I put in place to automate some of this? How can I help stay on task? So between task managers and I use a system that's a little bit of like what I like to think of as a multi-purpose tool. 
-hmm. It has a component for a CRM. So you've got all your leads in there and also the status of where each person's at. It's got the the calendar scheduler in there. Uh, It's got the reminders to eliminate no shows and that kind of thing. Um, You can have your contracts, some e-signatures, proposals, some invoicing through there. But the, the real magic happens with the workflows because when you build all the pieces, you can put them together and create a system where uh, one thing leads to another without any input or interaction from you. And when you can get to that place, you get, I'm not exaggerating, hours and hours a week back. I would argue that when I got mine up and running, it immediately saved me about 10 hours a week. I was spending two hours a day doing stuff like that. Um, So sometimes it's not me they need to hire to do the thing. So the conversation is, can we automate or delegate? How can we get things off your plate in the most cost-effective and painless way? Yeah. Yeah, that automation is is key. Because like you said, there's so many little things. It's not the big things that that are going to trip you up. It's those little things that slip through the cracks. Yep. Right? And if you let go of those, it could impact your relation with your customers, with your employees, your vendors. Yep. Yeah, I would find that I would respond to emails quickly because my inbox was, I was watching it grow, right? Like I'm in there trying to respond and I'm watching them come in. And so I would respond quickly to get the question answered. But I realized I'm not being proactive. I could give this client a more thought out response, a more thorough response, maybe include some resources. Um, And I was also typing the same things over and over. Like I just sent this response to somebody last week, right? So with the systems, you can put those in place and send a thoughtful email. It's just something that was thought out months ago, maybe still personal, still thought out. um, But they're getting a better version of me than when I'm just drowning and trying to keep my head above water. Nice. Very cool. And so um, do you work with mainly startup companies or do you work with businesses or established? I, in the beginning, I worked with a lot of startups because I love that energy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I got out of that because two things. They don't know what they don't know. So they don't even know the pain points yet. So you can't save them from something they haven't experienced. Um, like telling your kids not to do that, but you know, they're going to do it anyway. They have to feel the pain in order to remember the lesson. Um, and the other thing is a lot of times startups don't have the cash flow. Um, and I am a bleeding heart. So I would write off a lot of time. I would write off a lot of invoices. And so it's not good for my business model work with folks that couldn't afford the service. That was a really hard decision for me. And so I found that my best use and my ideal client usually happens with that solopreneur who is at that tipping point of, I've been doing it myself up until now and something's got to give. I haven't seen, you know, my husband or kids in weeks. I haven't called my mother. I have, you know what I mean? Like laundry's overflowing. I just, there aren't enough hours in the day because that's where I can be impactful and they've learned you know, how painful that is. And they're ready to hand it off or delegate, automate, whatever. Um, and they've built up enough clientele to, you know, have the cash flow. I would not say that our services are expensive, um, but they have to have some cash flow to, to cover that. And they also need to recognize the value. Otherwise, you know, it's just, it's not a good situation. Yeah. Um, and, or when they get to the place where they're ready to hire. That's another kind of pivotal point where sure. I figured out how to do my business on my own, but now I have a team. I have no mm-hmm. idea how to onboard. Payroll scares me. What quarterly reports, what, you know, like those types of things. That's another kind of critical point for us to come in and help uh, yeah. make that transition. Who, who to hire first. 
right? Yeah. You want to do that in the right order because you yeah. may hire somebody thinking that I'll give them that piece. You're still juggling all the balls. Exactly. <laughs> you know? And is it a good use of your time? Just because you can do it, just because you know how, does not mean you should be doing it. And that's a big conversation around things like bookkeeping. They're like, well, I get it. I can do it. And I'm like, I believe you. I mean, I believe anybody has the ability to do it. Sure. But is that your genius zone? Is that your highest value? Right. You highest know, the best you, use. Exactly. Yes. Yep. Um, and that's a hard conversation sometimes. But I feel like, you know, it's... Um, when you try to get them to dip their toe in, you know, they're very hesitant, they're reluctant. It's like, oh, this is my baby. And I get that. I felt the same way. It's really hard. But once they do it and they mm -hmm. experience that freedom and they realize that they've got somebody now that's not going to drop the ball, it's yeah. freeing. And then they're like, what else can I delegate? Like, right. how, how can I do more of this? Because exactly. I'm sleeping at night and I'm, you know, I'm more relaxed than I've been in forever. And my business is still running and it's thriving. Yeah. Um, yeah. Working with some of my clients, you know, we, we'd have the conversation about money, you know, um, how, how much time do you spend answering your telephone? Yeah. All right. Your time is worth, you know, a hundred something an hour. Sure. Would you pay somebody a hundred dollars an hour off the street to answer your phone? Well, of course not. Well, then right. why are you doing it? Right. Delegate that to someone else and just see, you know, we've all, we've mapped out what they do every day how much time they're spending in all these different areas. Look at how much time you got back just by bringing that one person in to do that. Yeah. Now let's yeah. target something else. Yeah. And if you've got somebody who's been doing these, whatever the thing is for a number of years, not only are they probably more cost effective in that regard, they can probably do it twice as fast as you can. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know for a while I, you know, bumble through social media on my own. I'm like, well, I've used social media. I must know how to do it. Right. But if I spend even two hours a week on it and I'm doing it incorrectly to the point where I'm getting no traction, the only people that like my posts are my husband and my mother, not getting me any business, then that yeah. hour or two hours is not worth it. You know, sure, I can do it myself, but should I? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So do you have a certain niche you work in, mainly service groups or? Um, Service-based businesses primarily. Um, Product-based businesses come with their own uh, factors that, mm -hmm. you know, if I'm not an expert in something, I refer it out. I'm yeah. very good at staying in my lane and kind of staying in my own genius zone. So mm -hmm. if it's inventory and product costing, it's not my jam, but here are three people that are exceptional with this. Um, so service-based people are, are definitely where it's at for me. Um, but it's not a specific service. It's really a readiness you know, it's that, that point where they really need to be ready to do it. Cause I've tried before where I knew it was in their best interest. They weren't ready. And there was so much handholding and, and there's a component of that anyway, and I don't mind it. Um, but they weren't ready and you yeah. can't, you can't force somebody, um, you know, kicking and screaming out of their comfort zone. It's no fun for, for either party. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, if, if they're looking for help, they're ready for help, they're open to ideas, then I am open to the, the conversation. Nice. And I'll be the first to tell people if they don't need me. That, yeah. And that's, you know, comforting, I think, once you, once you get out there to talk to people, I'm not going to sell you something that won't help you. Right. If, if I can't help, I'll point you in the right direction. But if there's something I can do to help you, and then you can actually show them, I, we just saved you eight hours a week. That's a day. Yeah. Imagine what you could get done in a day. And like you said, they spend so much time in the business 
they don't have time to pull their head up and look at the business, right? And work on the business. Right. And until you can give them that flexibility and, and that freedom to kind of move away from the business a little bit, then they can start pointing out and seeing, hey, I can improve here, I can improve here. Right. And a lot of them need the same professionals. Like all businesses need certain, you know, CPA, mm-hmm. uh, you know, certain people that I have spent a lot of time honing relationships and really vetting those people. Yeah. So I would say about 50% of the value that I bring is connecting them with other people. So that they don't have to go out um, kind of yellow pages style, right? And just right. pick somebody alphabetically. They know this is somebody I've worked with. I've connected people with. I've, I've done business with them personally. I trust them. You're in good hands. And we communicate so that you have this sort of um, sphere, yeah. <laughs> I hate the word, sphere of influence. Like you've mm-hmm. got this board of directors almost for your business yeah. that communicates with, for you, um, so all the pieces fit together instead of having all of those support people that you need in silos where there's no, there's no collaboration. It doesn't serve right. the client. Yeah. And that's key. You become their trusted advisor. Yeah. Hey, I need this. Let me, let me introduce you to somebody. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. So Genesis consulting, why Genesis? So my gym was also Genesis, Genesis fitness. And I chose Genesis because, you know, it means the beginning, right? And in my first business, it was, it was Genesis Fitness Start Here. The idea is that no matter where you're at in your fitness journey, you can start here. So people, I mean, I don't know a lot of people who have just been fit and healthy forever. There's a lot of us that have a little bit of seasonality, a little bit of holiday issue, you know, Mm -hmm. you can always start again. So it's always the beginning. And then when I was starting my third business, I actually joked with my husband. I was like, I kind of want to call it Genesis again, because at the time I was dealing with startups um, and it just made sense because we're in the beginning, we're starting again, you know, where it's a good place to start. It's kind of the, the idea. And I was joking. I was like, can I just keep redoing that? And he's like, I don't see why not. Yeah. Um, and so I did it and, you know, found out later, of course, that you can never get Genesis consulting because there are like, 50 million of us, right? but, um, I still liked it. It spoke to me. And so nice. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So talking about courage, where did you find the courage to, to step out and become that entrepreneur? You know, a lot of people, like you said, that the comfort zone of the nine to five, somebody else making all the decisions, taking all the risks. Yeah. You chose to go a different way. Where did that courage come from? So, you know, a couple things. I, I think in that particular case, it was a little easier for me than for some folks. Some folks, I think, really enjoy their comfort zone. I have always been somebody that believes that nothing good happens inside of your comfort zone, no growth. And I am always trying to improve in every area, do better. And, and sometimes it's exhausting. You know, sometimes I wish I was a good enough type person where I could just be like, oh, good, I've arrived. I'm just going to stop. I'm going to coast for the rest of my life. It's not me. Um, And I'm also, rule breaker comes to mind, but I hate to use that in in a negative sense. It's, I am a, I I don't accept the answer. This is the way we do it because we've always Mm. done it this way. That does not fly with me. Mm -hmm. What if there's a better way? What if somebody comes in with fresh eyes and says, have you thought of this? Um, and in a lot of like corporate America, that doesn't happen. It's, it's very much sit down and do your job with the tools we give you and don't ask questions. And that does not, it's, it's not the way that I am. 
so I didn't fit in the box anyway. I was already kind of half, half out of the box, just from those character flaws, if you will. Um, I think a big component of the courage piece for me was somebody told me I can't and other people told me I shouldn't. Um, and apparently I'm just a rebel or a petulant child. I'm not sure which, but I just, I, you know, that helped kind of scoop me out either. But the other, and I use this with a lot of stuff that I'm, you know, when I'm making these decisions is like, what is the worst that can happen? And it's not to discourage me. It's not to be a doomsday or negative. It's really a reminder of like, is anybody going to die if I do this? You know what I mean? Is, is anybody in mortal danger? What is the worst that can happen? Well, I emptied my 401k to do this. I could lose everything I've saved for retirement. That would suck. It would. It would be awful. But it's money and I can make more. Right. And I don't mean to sound, I don't mean to oversimplify it, but it's a resource. You know, sure. you can't take it with you when you go. You don't know what's going to happen. I could start saving for retirement and get hit by a bus when I'm, you know, 45 and retirement's obsolete at that point, right? right. Nobody knows. Um, and so, if the answer to what's the worst that can happen is something I can live with, then it becomes like a pros and cons. Does this thing excite me and drive me? And am I passionate enough about it to be willing to take that risk? The answer is yes, I'm all in. Yeah. Um, and I've always lived my life that way. And, you know, most of the time it served me well. Of course, it's bitten me a few times. But, sure. um, but you survived. I did. And I did lose everything. Yeah. I did. After the first business, you know, it didn't go well. I ended up filing bankruptcy. I lost my marriage. I lost 50% custody of my child because we we're both excellent parents. So we shared. Yeah. Yeah. But that meant I didn't have my kid for half the time. I lost a lot. Yeah. But I would still do it over again. Yeah. You know? And so I guess I don't even think it was a courageous decision. I, I think I can see how it, it might be. But for me, it was logical. I'm unhappy in my job. Nobody else will give me a chance. It lights me up. I want to be happy. You spend a third of your life at work. A yeah. third of it. I've never understood the people that stay in a job that they're miserable in. And they literally spend half their waking hours yeah. doing it. There's so and many options out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so many options out there. Go, be happy, do what you love. There's a way, you know? Yeah. Did you have somebody in your, in your family or, or somebody you knew that was an entrepreneur? You kind of picked that up from? You know, it's interesting. I, it's, if you knew my dad, you'd know why this is funny. But my dad had started a couple of businesses and he's, he's not that guy. You know, he's not outgoing. He's not, he just did it simply because he loved it. So he can fix anything, anything. I don't care if it's a computer, a boat, a car, a, it doesn't matter. He can yeah. fix it. And so he had started an auto repair business right out of our garage when I was growing up because he could fix cars. And it was kind of like my third business where people just heard that he fixed somebody's car for free. And then they would just go, well, can you fix mine? And eventually started charging because he was doing a lot of it. Yeah. And then it just became a business. Nice. And he did the same with electronics before electronics were disposable, you know, like back mm -hmm. when you actually fixed your TV, if it broke, um, he would do that. And it wasn't the entrepreneurial bug that bit him. It was just, I like this. It's a service. People want to pay me for it. So why not? Nice. Um, but it's funny to think of him that way because I would not equate of all the words I could use to describe my dad. Entrepreneur is not one of them. 
Yeah. But he's the only person I know that did their own business. Yeah, because we all know so many people that they talk about it, but they'll yep. never take that step. It's like, no, you know, there's, because they're thinking of all of the, the things they don't know that could come back. Yeah. Them. But I'm with you. It's like if so, I lose everything. I can start over. I'll go get another job. I'll mow lawns. I'll, you know, right. whatever, whatever it takes to be happy. Yeah. But I think I think some people's comfort zone is more important to them. You know, if they were to do the same pros and cons list that con would be unacceptable for them because it's important for them to have structure and comfort. And I don't begrudge them that at all. Sure. That's just not me. I like being uncomfortable. I like pushing the limits both for myself and, you know, professionally, personally. And in my own experience, it rewards me every time with the people I've been able to meet, the things I've been able to do, the things that I've tried that if I stayed in my comfort zone, I would never jump out of a plane but it was exhilarating. You know, I would never start a business and it was next to my kids. One of the best things I've ever done. Nice. I wouldn't do all those things if my comfort was that important to me. Exactly. Yeah. I'm with you. So what would you say is one of the biggest lessons you learned from being an entrepreneur? I think that it is to have that humility, to know that you don't know everything and to have acceptance that it's okay that you don't. You know, there's this feeling like, well, I started it, so I've got to figure it out. Hmm. You don't. There are people out there who want to support you, who make their living supporting you. You don't have to know it all, nor should you. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of shame and guilt that in the entrepreneurs that I meet, specifically around finances. You know, I'm a business owner. I've been in business X number of years. I should know how to read my profit and loss. I should know if my business is doing well. I should know if I can employ, uh, bring on an employee. And I always tell them gently, as gently as I can, should I know how to be a doula? If that's what, you know what I mean? Like, right. should I know? And they're like, no, of course not. That's, that's absurd. Then why should you know how to do my job? We all need each other. We all have a purpose and nobody's expected to be all things to all people. Yeah. And that's a really tough lesson. But I'll tell you that the sooner you can wrap your head around that, Mm-hmm. and release it and ask for help and get help and, and just take that should off, like mm-hmm. just be free of it, the better off you'll be. It just yeah. stifles creativity and you need creativity to be an entrepreneur. Yep. Yeah. Anthony Robbins uh, talks about shooting all over yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I tell people that all the time. Yeah. It always makes them laugh. And I'm like, I didn't yeah. invent the term, No. but I'll tell you not to do it. It yeah. doesn't serve you. No mm-hmm. good comes out of the shoulda, coulda, woulda. Yeah. doesn't make anybody feel good. Not at all. So how many people do you have working for you right now? I have five plus me. Nice. Um, one specific to the system. She is the resident systems expert. And I have three that do, um, I call them account managers, a lot of the, the finances and payroll and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then um, one that does kind of the high level oversight. Um, and then me and I do a little bit of everything plus the coaching. So for folks that still want to do it themselves, but they need a little guidance around how to do it and how to feel secure in doing it and understanding it, then I do coaching with them. Nice. So there's six of us right now. And that's honestly all happened in like three years. That's great though. Crazy. So if I was to bump into any one of these folks and ask them what type of leader you are, what would they tell me? What kind of leader are you? I would say a very human one. I 
I am not afraid to tell them when I screwed up. You know, if I didn't communicate something, I also encourage them to be human and not be hard on themselves if they make mistakes. Um, I want them to meet their own human needs, meaning don't work through lunch. Don't, don't not go to the bathroom because you've got a deadline to meet. Nothing's on fire. Take vacation, take self-care. Don't work when you're sick. Um, I just want people to be human because I feel like employees are often treated a little bit more like machines, like we're robots. We're expected to do the job consistently every day and not have any needs. And that's not realistic. No. I don't know that I would want to work with people like that. No. Oh, no. No. Hmm. Nope. And I don't ever want people to feel like that if they're working with me. Exactly. Ever. Well, uh, part of the courage we talk about is for leaders to understand that, have that, that humility, uh, mm -hmm. have the empathy yeah. to understand that sometimes you are afraid. Sometimes you don't have all the answers. And yeah. if they can admit that, and that takes courage to admit, I don't know what to do here. I think that opens a doorway for other people, your employees yeah. to come back and say, well, I'm not sure, you know, and it's okay to be unsure, right? Let's work it out together. But if, if that, if that leader is, I must know everything and I must be the smartest person in the room, that's going to come back and bite you. Well, because you lead by example. I've always believed that. It's something I learned and I heard very early on. And so if I'm a martyr, then they're not going to want to be vulnerable with me. They're not going to want to say, hey, I really need to take this time off. Like I, I need to show them that it's okay and just Put it out there like, hey, I'm not going to be readily available next week because I don't have any childcare, And that's the reality of my life right now. I am a human being. I am a mother. And that will always come first. That said, text me if you need me because I won't be in front of email. Yeah. Like, they've got to be free to do the same. Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. Um, previous employers or, or people, is there any yeah. leader that stands out for you that you learn lessons from? Yeah. Uh, different lessons but ones that I respect and I'll never forget. So um, there's a gentleman who's from the, the DC area that owned a financial advising firm. That's how our paths had crossed. And he had the courage to leave uh, his, it was his practice. He owned it. Um, but he wanted to start a life insurance company. <laughs> and that's not something that you do. Like as a normal human, like you don't just start a life insurance company. Right. There's a reason that the ones you know about have been around for ever in a day. Yeah. Um, but he was passionate, much like I was about, you know, the, the system being broken. He thought that it could be better. And, um, and he wanted to start it and he gave up everything and he did. And he created one that gave back, that gave people the opportunity to give a percentage of their death benefit to the charity of their choice the only uh, insurance company that was a uh, certified B Corp, 1% mm -hmm. for the planet member. And I think the things that he taught me really had to do with integrity. You know, he really walked the walk. He, he didn't just say, I love the planet and you should recycle, which is kind of what I heard a lot of people, you know, like they try to say, oh, I'm all, and Nathan never did that. He, uh, he walked the walk. He, he did give the, the profits to all these organizations. He promotes other businesses that do the same. He advocates for it. Um, he's very thoughtful in who he hires and bringing on the people that can not only do the job, 
but have a similar mindset so that the culture can really be about that because that was what was important to him. And, uh, you know, watching him go through that startup, like it wasn't easy, but he stayed the course and he never deviated. You know, there was opportunities where it was like, this is going to be really hard to do if you're giving your profit away. Um, so if you don't do that, then this would work. And he was mm -hmm. like, no, cause then I'm like every other company. And that's not why I did this. And so he just held fast to that, that purpose, that why. And uh, he, he has, he's just one of the most thoughtful um, people I know. And he has such integrity and I just really respect him for that. And I always will. And I recommend people to him often just because of that. There's not a lot of people that go all the way, right. you know? Yeah. They, they talk a good game. Exactly. Game. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Very cool. Yeah. So what would you say is one of your, your strengths as a leader? Um, I think the compassion is a big one, both in leading my team, but also leading my clients, because there's an element of guiding them on their journey that happens. But I don't, I don't like to lead from the front, I guess. I, I like to lead from alongside, you know, and okay. There's an element of vulnerability that people are not used to. And I know this because they always look shocked when I tell them things. Um, but I think when you are vulnerable, not airing dirty laundry vulnerable, but when right. you are saying, listen, I'm, I'm a human being trying to do this too. And this thing that you're doing, it's hard, it's isolating, and not everybody understands what you're feeling and what you're going through. Give yourself a little grace, have some kindness and some patience and that seems to disarm people and it seems to work kind of with everything. I mean, I've used the same strategy with my children, you know, like if you just treat them with kindness and give them permission to let it all go for a while, they just become the best version of themselves. Nice. And that's not something everybody does. And especially in my field, a lot of times numbers, people aren't people, people. They're brilliant with numbers. Yeah. Yeah. But when you have that numbers mind, a lot of them tend to be introverts mm -hmm. and they just want numbers because one plus one is always two and they want that black and white. Yeah. And I love numbers also. I'm a super nerd, but humans are more important to me and that, that connection and that relationship is more important. And I feel like I can help them do what they need to do and understand numbers if I'm if I'm like them, if I say, listen, this is just you and I having a conversation. This is not me judging you for how much you spent or how little you have in your bank account. There's no judgment. There's not a lot of places in life in general, I don't feel like, where people can really be vulnerable and feel understood and share their fears without that judgment and get the support they need without, you know, having the other person feel like, like they're bigger than them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's something that I bring that not everybody in my field does. Nice. Very cool. So what's next for you? You've done a bunch already. Yeah, I know you yeah. said you had a book you started. The book is next. Yeah. The book is something I would really like to focus on. That's something that uh, I've been working with my coach over the last couple of years to build what she calls an owner independent company. You know, if I can get it in a place where it's sustainable, but it doesn't need me 40 hours a week, mm -hmm. I can dedicate that time to some other things that I'm passionate about, like writing, telling my story um, and giving back. Like, I would love to just 
start up all the nonprofits and, and give time and money. Like if I was a millionaire, that's what I would do. Um, but you need time to donate if you're giving back and you need money to give back. And so I also have to make money to give it. And so yeah. expanding that team and growing. Yeah. Do you have a name uh, title for the book? I don't yet. I mean, in my draft, it's called a money memoir, but I want something a little sexier than that because it's really people don't talk about money and we're, we're taught from a very early age. You don't ask people what they make or what they pay for their mortgage or their car. You don't ask them what their raise was, or it's just not something that you talk about, but it's not a dirty word. We all have it. We all need it. We all use it. Mm-hmm. And if I can make it an enjoyable tale, you know, the various ways that money has impacted my life and who I've become and, and what I do, I think it's a story that would be of value to at least a couple people and it would feel good to get it on paper. So nice. Yeah. Very cool. Well, as soon as you get it done, we'll have you back on the show and talk. Oh, about wonderful. It. Well, then I hope it's not like 10 years from now. I'm really hoping this is not something that I, <laughs> Talk about courage. I, you know, I have no problem with all this other stuff, but writing a book and telling my personal story, I just keep opening it and closing it again. Yeah. That takes courage too. But It's uh, a different yeah. kind of courage for me. You'll get it done. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll check in and make sure you're getting it done and we'll, we'll get you back on the show. All right. I need all the accountability I can. Very cool. Julie, this has been great. Thanks so much for, for taking time out to talk with us. If people want to get in touch with you and learn more about Genesis yeah. Consulting, how can they do that? Best way would be through our website, uh, has all my contact info and all the ways to reach and more about us and what we do. And that is Genesis, all spelled out, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Consulting Corp, C-O-R-P.com. Um, and I will have a conversation with anybody. So cool. book that discovery call. and Excellent. And are you, um, can they find you on LinkedIn? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's LinkedIn uh, backslash Jay Goodall. Okay. I think. Yeah. All right. Excellent. I'll make sure I have those links down in the show okay. notes. As soon as your book is out, we'll have a link to the book too. <laughs> and uh, make sure people can get that. So again, Great. thanks. Thanks so much for being on the program. Oh, thanks Thank for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been fun. All right, listeners, hope you guys are taking a lot of good notes. Um, if you are an entrepreneur, you don't have to do it all yourself. Make sure you get help and start by calling Julie Goodall, right? At Genesis Consulting. And uh Share this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues, and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for now.